0: Welcome back to the Cheapy Productions Podcast. Welcome back to the show and today i've got my very first ring announcer on the show a man that's been in the business since the 1993 i believe yes sir mr rich paladino how are you doing sir i'm good how are you good 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 how's things where you are over in america these days with all this crazy stuff
1: beautiful today's uh, american holiday labor day um which just means people don't work on labor day so uh so good, beautiful weather. Walked about four and a half miles today because I was bored. I don't want to say that my real job defines me and occupies my time, but my real job defines me and occupies all my time, apparently. So yeah, uh, doing very good, though. Really happy to be here.
0: Yeah, and I've seen your, your photos on Facebook. You're in great shape.
1: I'm getting there. I've been a large gentleman my entire life. Uh, about 20-something years ago, I did lose like 100 pounds and then slowly gained it all back and uh as of this past saturday's weigh-in i'm down almost 82 pounds so wow yeah i feel great i feel great S- spending a lot of money on new uh you know tuxedo accoutrement for uh shows and whatnot but it's worth it so yeah just just to feel better and look better is uh, worth it for mm-hmm.
0: me yeah thank you uh, no problem in, in terms of the business of wrestling it's a it's a crazy world how did you become involved in it
1: uh, I always tell people I'm a fan before I'm even like somebody that works in the business. So I was a fan probably since I was about eight years old. Uh, I grew up on Bruno San Martino and Bob Backlund, Bruno, Backlund Backlund was a champion. Bruno was kind of on his way out more like special attraction. Um, but he was the commentator every Saturday morning when I watched wrestling and, um, Backlund was the champion and you know, 1978, 79, I didn't realize like, you know, how vanilla Bob Backlund was, but he was my guy and Mm -hmm. still is to this day, and um, I was just a fan, and then I met a gentleman, um, I'll give you the the shorter version, I met somebody that ran a show out here in New England, his name was Gordon Scazzari, and he has since passed away, but he ran one show, and I sold myself as wanting to be a ring announcer, and ended up doing commentary for the show that I went to with the man that would end up really breaking me into the business, which was the Boston bad boy, Tony rumble who was a a staple out here, especially in new England. But he did stuff early days of ECW and IWCCW with the Savoldis. He's we swapped numbers when we did, we did commentary together for that uh, in a studio in Maine for that AWF show. We kept in touch. He started running shows under the century wrestling Alliance banner and uh, October 23rd, 1993, you never forget your first. that was my first gig as a ring announcer. That's what I always christened my anniversary in wrestling as. Not so much the studio stuff that he and I did. that never saw the light of day. Um, but yeah, just right place, right time. And it's always what I wanted to do.
0: Yeah. It was a, Did you always want to be a ring announcer? Or did you have any different plans to work elsewhere in the business as a record? Or anything <laughs> like that?
1: When I was or a even kid, a performer? I, yeah. When I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be a wrestler. Um in fact when WWF had come to my high school in 1985 I met um two gentlemen one that I'm really still pretty tight with I met Paul Roma and Mario Mancini who I still keep in touch with and um Mario had actually given me the phone number for Tony Altamori had a school um somewhere in Connecticut and i told my mom hey i'm gonna go be a wrestler you have to drive me to connecticut it was about three hours away and she was like yeah we're not doing that Mm -hmm. um but like i said i was always a big kid so i knew i didn't have the physical tools but i knew i had the verbal skills i guess so i always wanted to be the announcer and i always emulated or imitated the ring announcers that was always my thing so i always that and backstage commentary and i've done i had done commentary for one of my home promotions for close to 20 years but we just kind of changed that up recently but ring announcing is my thing and i love it i love every minute of it still to this day 28 years later of doing it
0: and since the pandemic obviously you've probably been probably out of work have you in terms of wrestling
1: yeah, I mean, you know, fortunately, I have a, a a day job that pays all the bills and keeps the roof over our heads here. Um, but being on the road, whether it just be through New England or throughout the Northeast for the past uh, at that point twenty seven years, uh, it it was. I, I thought I was just gonna pack it all in. You know, I've been doing this forever. I never had a national contract. The world's never going to be. Yeah, everybody went through these moments of doubt, I think, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love to tell people is I love my wife and I love my 15 year old twins. I love my kids, but I never want to be locked down in a house with them for 15 or 16 months again. <laughs> you know, it's just this is my office where I'm sitting right now is my office for my real job. Now, all of a sudden, my wife was working the floor above and my kids were being homeschooled because of the COVID. And um, man, it was, it was, it was just, it was life changing. But all it took me was a couple of shows, and I was like, yeah, no, I, I, I can't stop doing this. I don't want to be that guy that just sits at home every weekend. I really love what I do, so happy to still be doing it. Keep grinding.
0: I, I often talk to people, and it's kind of like uh, I do say to them, like once you dip your toe into the wrestling business, you're never getting out of there.
1: Yeah, you know, and there's an old adage too that uh, once you're in the business, whatever age you are when you break in that's how old you are for the rest of your career. So that makes me a 24-year-old man. So I feel pretty damn good about that. And I pretty much act like it sometimes too. So it is what it is.
0: Yeah. So when you were working, say, in the 90s, and then how did you get the call in 96 to go to ECW? How did that come about?
1: So uh, great question. So the very first show that I, first independent show I did in 93, um, Tommy Dreamer and Taz were on it. And to this day, I still keep in touch with dreamer, like regularly and see him often. Um, ECW was running some shows up here and they were using another ring announcer, um, who did the, the ring announcing for killer Kowalski's shows, but he was an older gentleman, like older than, you know, than me a- mm-hmm. at that time anyways, and just didn't connect with the crowd. And I went to a show. I knew dreamer. I knew Taz, I knew the eliminators who were both um, in the area. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: But I also knew the local promoters, Mike Bonansky and Paul Richard. Um, Paul refereed for ECW for years, and they were the local promoters for Boston. And it was funny. I'd gone to, uh, they had done a TV taping uh, the night before in Webster, Mass that I went to. I had a comp ticket. I went and watched the show. I went to Revere, Massachusetts the next night. And Paul's like, hey, brother, do you have your tux with you? I'm like, course. He's like, all right, they want you to ring it out. So I was like, awesome. So that was just it. Everybody knew me like through Tony Rumble because Tony was very well respected in the business. And Paul Heyman had worked with Tony for years in, in ICW, uh RICW. And um and and that was it. And I had enough people vouching for me. And that was it. Hi Paul Heyman hired me on the spot after my first night there. It was just like I want you every time I come to New England. So that was just uh, I was stroke of luck. I mean, I was just right place right time, but I was a huge ECW fan. so it was really awesome. It was a, it was a really great time. I had about a two and a half year run there uh, until the money started drying up, I think. but um, yeah, I mean, made some really good friends. Guys I still talk to talk, talk with to this day. So it's very lucky, very fortunate
0: what was that locker room like to, <laughs> to, to to be around? Because there's an outside perspective, but like people like me can read things online and people like everyone else can read things online. But was it just a bunch of crazy guys or when it came down to nitty gritty, were they professional, ready to go and focused?
1: Definitely professional, ready to go and focused. Um, Paul Heyman would have these um, kind of like what you saw in beyond the mat. Um, where he was at the ECW Arena before the first pay per view and he was given the speech. You would think that was just for the cameras for the documentary, but he would have a meeting like that before every show where he would just, he's such a motivational speaker. Like it would just be like, all right, go kill. And everybody would just, everybody in that locker room would be like, all right, we're going to go kill it. And they did. Um, there was some craziness. There was, uh, you know, there, there was always goofing around, but once they came through the curtain, it was ECW and it was like the most realistic wrestling there was at that time. And, and their legacy still lives on in my opinion. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was no nonsense, all business. I was always walking on eggshells, even though everybody was super nice to me. Um, But the locker room atmosphere was great. It was like, it was almost like a family atmosphere. Cause I remember there would be like one performer that would like be in charge of like, now this is the nineties, like fan mail. And I remember Mm -hmm like they would just pull out this bag of mail and be like, okay, Hey, you know, dream of this, this is yours, whatever. People were like writing into their favorite wrestler and stuff like that. Um, You know, I got to go to dinner and have drinks a couple of times, you know, which was the crazier side of it. And we'll just leave it at that. But, um, (laughs) but I mean, it was, it was a very family atmosphere. Like it was just, you know, everybody was always super cool to me. I remember bringing my wife to a show and Paul Heyman, like, Like just charming her and just being like, What's a beautiful lady like you doing with an ugly guy like this? Oh, and she's like, ha ha ha, you know. But it was just Heyman being Heyman. I mean I remember every show, like Sam would be like, Hey, can you fill my cooler with ice? And that was like my thing. I was like the ice man. I would have to fill up Sam cooler with ice so his beers would be cold. You know, it was just it was just random, like just so many funny different things. Um and I do remember one night right before Raven was leaving for WCW, he had just got out of the shower and the boys were trying to push him through the curtain with a towel wrapped around his waist. It was just like the most random of things. Like he just popped out for a second and then went back in and it was, it was a one floor building. So not everybody could see it. But it was just that kind of goofiness that was so much fun to be around, you know.
0: Yeah, but there was, there was obviously a bond there as well.
1: Oh, there definitely was. It was a super family atmosphere, and every interview I ever do about ECW, the, the one guy that got me through it and prepped me through through everything uh, is my dear friend Joel Gertner, because he was transitioning from ring announcer to, like, heel mouthpiece for uh, Devon Dudley at the time, and, and others, and he just coached me through everything from my first night all the way through, and we've become, like, good friends ever since. I mean, not to go Ramble on too much, but there was just one show where he had one pair of black pants and they split right up the middle. And thank God, my wife, with her fashion, uh, fashion background and her degree in um, fashion design, like I was like Joel, just give me your pants. Uh, She ain't gonna be happy about it, but my wife can fix these, so we can do the next show tomorrow night without you having to go buy new pants or wear you know junk hanging out and stuff like that. You know, it was just that kind of camaraderie and atmosphere. It was just, it was just a really it was just a great, great place to work. I, I credit is like literally like top three moments of my my many years in this business, yeah. without a doubt.
0: What is the hardest thing, in your opinion, about ring announcer?
1: Um, The hardest thing I think, more so for others than for me, is I think the biggest thing a ring announcer needs to focus on, and I wish I saw more of it out there, is the attention is not on you; it's on the performers. Um, But the actual hardest, hardest thing, I would say, especially for me at 52 years old, is remembering stuff. I always pride myself on not looking at an index card because that's what you would see on TV. Um, After the pandemic, I find myself, I used to know everybody's names and hometowns and rattle them off. I find that after that you know, 15, 16 months off, I forgot stuff. But I would say just memorizing stuff. I, I look at it like memorizing a line as an actor would or an actress would in a, in a play or in a, in a movie. Um, that's it. And sometimes I have what I like to, you know, call a brain fart and I will have to look at the card, but um, you know, the hardest thing is, you know, remembering stuff and knowing your spot, not just, not just in the ring, but mentally visually. Um, you know I, I've been telling other ring announcers new ones that ask me for advice like, you know how many times you see like a wrestler striking a pose in front of the hard cam and you see like a ring announcer's head right behind? I mean that's something I've incorporated in the past couple years. I try and know where I am in the ring too because that pose in front of the hard cam could be, a still shot for a promo photo or a, you know, something for a video or a teaser on, you know, something on IWTV, which I'll talk about later, but of course I got to plug my IWTV, but um, you know, it's just little things like that. Know your, I hate to sound like the rock, know your role, you know, and but know it in more than just, you're there to say names. You know, the, the show is not about you. They're there to see the performers. You just enhance the performance. So, um, but remembering stuff would definitely be the hardest thing as I get older, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's, it's it's probably a whole different element from doing shows back in the day a few independent shows to then doing shows that are being recorded for television you just touched on it there with mm-hmm. camera positions and things like that yeah was that was that change hard for you or what way did you manage it
1: as far as what the camera positioning and whatnot
0: yeah as far as been from like say a small independent show to like a show that's going on tv
1: uh, yeah, that's definitely much, much more nerve wracking. That's a lot more um, preparation going into it, stuff like that. I mean, even like the few times that I was on ECW TV, like I knew, I mean, my brain was a lot younger than too but I knew my stuff and I would rehearse it and practice it. So I wouldn't even have to look at a card. Um, but even now with the stuff that we do on, on IWTV for beyond wrestlings, you know, weekly shows which are going to be starting up again now um i know that that's getting a lot of views so i want to be on my a-game best i can so the positioning thing has just been my new thing i usually take a corner with a referee or opposite the referee but as far as trying to be spot on I'm slowly getting back to it man i'm telling you that time off just killed me so yeah. i hope that answers your question but yeah, yeah
0: so you've got three hall of fame inductions for ring announcement do you want to tell us about them
1: yeah absolutely uh thank you for mentioning it uh one is the um the group that i grew up with which was century wrestling alliance with tony rumble uh eventually became part of uh the national wrestling alliance uh billy corgan's nwa now yeah um so i have one induction for nwa new england I have one for the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, which is a local um, organization that my friend Joe Bruin put together uh, probably about 10 or 12 years ago. So I was humbled to be a part of that. And uh, the Chaotic Wrestling Hall of Fame, which um, is a company that I'm very proud of that I've been with for 21 years. Um, So those are actually over this shoulder, that shoulder. There we go. So I have those in a another recognition award I got from a, from an independent promotion from like 20 years ago that doesn't run anymore, but those hang proudly um, chaotic's there at the top, then the new England hall of fame, then end new England. It's all just based on size, but um, to be recognized, you know, in my field is um, pretty humbling experience. So I take those very seriously and probably tag them on all my social medias and all that stuff. I'm very proud of all those awards. So thank you.
0: No problem. What is the craziest thing you've seen happening in the ring?
1: Uh, <laughs> craziest thing I saw in the ring. And I I've said, I'm going to, I will mention it, but, um, not talk about it in depth anymore to the respect of the performers who are no longer with us. My first ECW show was the mass transit incident. So yes, yes. without a doubt that was, um, the absolute craziest thing. And I have a lot of people that asked me to be on podcasts specifically for that. And I'm like, what more can I add? You know, well, your perspective. Well, yeah, it was right at the ring, but you know, I can't explain it any better than the late new Jack did or, you know, the late mass transit or his family did, you know, on news reports and whatnot. Um, but it was terrifying. I do tell people that when you hear the kid's father saying, ring the F and bell, he's 17. He's looking right at me and telling me to ring the bell. That was my first night in ECW. And I always tell people I wasn't doing anything unless Mr. Paul Heyman told me to do something. So um, not that it would have mattered. I could have sat there and pounded on the bell all night. (laughs) You know, it was just, it was, but definitely without a doubt, don't even have to think about it. That was the absolute craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life.
0: That was your, that was your first night there
1: that was the night. Hey, do you have your tuxedo brother? Cause I was in wet. I had, they had done a show in Webster, Massachusetts the night before, and I was going to both. And you know, even to this day, I don't go anywhere without my, my tux unless it's a really bad show. And I'm just going to hang out, but yeah. I always have my tuxedo with me. Um, you know, and I, I, I wear a tuxedo because that's my level of respect that I have for this business. To me, every promoter, every fan, every, um, every promoter, every performer, every athlete, every fan deserves my absolute best. And I want to enhance that performance and make it look as professional as possible. So I'm not some like rich kid that just has money to go buy tuxedos. You know, Mr. Gordon Scazzari bought me my first tuxedo in 1992, 93. And, you know, when I outgrew that one, I was on my own dime after, but, um, but yeah, that was the mass transit was my and who would have known and 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 Joel Gertner my coach for the night had told me you know we do boxing style intros here uh you know if something's going to start hot you will know about it and when the you in, you will not introduce the gangsters because once they come out and throw the garbage can in the ring just get out yeah fair enough no problem um but yeah that was my very first my very first uh night with ECW November 23rd 1996
0: It reminds, it reminds me of my first time working in Dublin in a, I worked in Dublin for seven years and I went up to, uh, let's just say it was kind of a rough area. Okay. And I I went there and my first night on the job, we had a security guy, uh, because it was that kind of store. We needed security and two guys came in and bet the shit out of him. Okay. And And I was only in the job, maybe an hour. Yeah. And they were following this guy around the store. Now he looked like he was going to. Maybe rob something, and then his friend came in, and two of them attacked the security guard. Blood oh. everywhere. the The cops were there. The guards, we call them over here, were there. Sure. And I was like, what am I doing here? So that's kind of like my my kind of similar experience to you there.
1: I, and and I can tell you, like right hand to God, I was terrified, like because I had never seen that much blood, um, you know, and. and again, from my perspective, that close to the ring. Um, But it kind of shook me up too, because I was kind of like, yeah, I don't ever want to like be in harm's way. I've never taken a bump. I've never drawn a dime in this business. I've never done anything to, you know, be able to work with somebody in that capacity. But at the same time, you never know if somebody's having a bad day and wants to mess with you a little bit too. So it made me nervous. Uh, It it did make me nervous because you it was very gory kind of Mm. same as what you saw, you know, with the security guard beaten, getting beaten up, you know, it it was, you know, whatever it was, you know, I still get chills thinking about it, but you know, it, it it was what it was. It's a part of wrestling history now. Mm -hmm. And that's always like the jaw dropper is, you know, Oh, you worked for ECW like, yeah, when'd you start? I'm like, November 96. Sometimes I don't want to glorify and They'd be like, wait a minute. Were you? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I'm sure.
0: I'm sure you just get asked about that as you touched on it, like all the time. Like I didn't, I wasn't even going to ask. Well, I suppose that question, in a way, kind of led into it. But uh, one thing we'll we'll finish up talking about. I sent New Jack a message a couple of months ago before he passed away, mm-hmm. and to come on the podcast. And he he only sent me one message back. It's about two months before he died, and he just said, "Hell yes, I'll come on the podcast. I love I love my fans. Yes, you know." And yeah. that's, that's the last thing I I, I heard from them.
1: Yeah, and honestly, a uh, company that I work with, uh, Big Time Wrestling, they're a national uh, promotion, uh, but they are based here. And uh, my friend that runs it, he does these like he did like these virtual signings during the pandemic, and we did one with New Jack, uh, uh-huh. in January of this year, in fact. And I ended up driving him from Boston, uh, a little over an hour west to where we were set up to do the uh, the filming and. My God, he was so cool, so nice, so relaxed, um, very entertaining. I mean, even to the point where, you know, you could say, oh, hey, can you make that out to, hey, Maurice, ECF and W, New Jack, you know, however you want to personalize. Somebody had actually was on, it was it's like on Facebook Live, yeah. and it said, hey, can you write, and they wanted to write something like F Mass Transit, like the dude had it coming. Or, and he literally was like, no, I'm not writing that. You know, which I thought was really, really cool considering, you know, everything we've heard and seen. But, um, you know, his passing, like, really, because he was like somebody that I was scared of from what I first saw. But then, I mean, I recall having, you know, dinner with with him, my wife, um, my friend Jose Perez and his wife, and New Jack. Like, and he's like the most entertaining, like his stories, just his vernacular, just the way he talks. It was just, it was so entertaining. So like somebody I was terrified of, cause I didn't know then somebody that I got to share a car with, you know, a couple of months before he passed, which I totally cherished that moment. And the fact that I got his action figure signed and, and, and a picture signed, but it's just, it's a shame, but that's, that's this business, man. But, yeah. um, yeah, he was a really good dude. And I, if you haven't done already, I suggest get his book. I oh, I, yeah. I got yeah. his He's book and, uh. I read it not too long after he passed and you know it's a hell of a story
0: (laughs) yeah for sure coming coming back to the present day sure what, what promotions are you working in now you kind of touched on a few things earlier
1: yeah i um as i get older too and as the world's opening back up i have three primary companies that take precedence over others and it's no disrespect to any other promotion uh chaotic wrestling who i've been with since 2000 um Limitless Wrestling, whose t-shirt I'm wearing, Uh, up in Maine, uh, I've been with them for, oh God, five years maybe now, five or six years. And then Beyond Wrestling um, is, those are my top three. Beyond Wrestling, I've been with them uh, since the first American runner in 2013. Um, I've said, again, it's not a slight on anybody, any other promotion, but that's the company that kind of like rejuvenated my 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 love and wanting to keep doing this, mm-hmm. um, because it was different. Because even though it's based out of New England per se, it wasn't like the same New England guys on the same shows. And we're st- we're seeing a lot of that now, where um, you know the New England companies that are just the New England companies will always be the New England companies. But limitless, chaotic stuff like that, starting to bring in other indie talent, um, you know, just to uh, enhance their shows and and whatnot. But that was the thing with Beyond. I mean, my first show had Colt Cabana on it, had Masada on it, had Kevin Steen on it, Drew Gulak, uh, EYFBO, who are now Santana and Ortiz. It was like all these indie guys that I'd only heard of, and now here they were right in my backyard. I mean, I live in southeastern Massachusetts, but we were in Providence, Rhode Island. And it was just, I friggin' loved it and you know now i've seen all the different um changes if you told me that i'd be doing weekly episodic beyond wrestling shows on iwtv i would have said you were crazy but we're having our season 3 of uncharted territory starting up on uh, thursday october 7th we have 13 week contract that takes us up to the end of the year um uh, limitless. I'm usually up there once or twice a month. Uh, love the fans up there. Love the fans everywhere I go, but my God, they just, I missed a show. And when I announced that I wasn't going to be there so I could put over the kid that was replacing me when I said I wasn't there, they, they were like booing me out of the building and I had to turn them around <laughs> to give some love to my, my buddy, uh, uh, Ethan Scott, who was going to be covering for me cause I was away. But, um, and then, and then chaotic wrestling, I've been through all, I've been there from day one, technically day two. Cause my beloved new England Patriots were playing the very first time I got booked for chaotic and I, I had tickets yeah. um, and it was a festival show. So it really wasn't like a real, real show, but I've been with them since September, 21 years since September of 2000. And uh, they're doing, you know, great things, different organization completely than what it was before. It's not your dad's chaotic wrestling, you know, but our next show, we've got bear Bronson who was a chaotic original. Who's now part of AEW as bear country. And we yeah. have Paul London, actually coming in to challenge our, our, we just put our heavyweight title on a, on a, I shouldn't say put it on Davy N who is one of my favorite people inside wrestling, outside of wrestling, just such a talented performer, first female to ever hold the chaotic wrestling heavyweight title. And she's going to be defending it against Paul London on uh, September 17th. So, you know, those are my top three and you know, they, they get top billing uh, just based on longevity. Um, You know, That's my loyalty factor, I guess, to the biz. So,
0: From the outside looking in at the moment, there seems to be, with what's going on at AEW, with Fight TV, with different networks and things like that, there's a little bit of a wrestling, I think, rejuvenation happening at the moment, especially after the pandemic as well. Do you find that over there?
1: yeah without a doubt um and i watched all out i mean i don't know if i'm ruining anything by saying as we're recording but i watched all out last night with uh, yeah. drew cordero who owns beyond wrestling i had two fantasy football drafts at eight o'clock and then drove my my ass to his place so i, and I got to watch the first the last two hours and then i watched the first hour on the replay just it was such a great night but yeah i mean there's so many avenues out there i mean when you look at what WWE has for, for, for their, whatever it is, seven hours of weekly television, AEW now with three hours of TV and then all the online content on YouTube. Um, but like you said, fight TV, um, independent wrestling TV, as I've been plugging, cause you know, mm-hmm. I'm on it a lot. Um, title match wrestling network, which is another one that I usually work with during mania uh, during WrestleMania weeks. Um, there's so much out there. And I think people are willing to not only subscribe to a lot of these, and if you're going to pick one, please do IWTV and use mm-hmm. the passcode one fall. Cause you know, I get a little kickback. Um, <laughs> but I think there's just so much, there's so much out there now. What I'm seeing is post pandemic, the fans are coming out and, and they're willing to pay more money for a ticket. Uh, especially when we had capacity issues here in New England, where you could only have so many people in the building, well, you got to jack up those ticket prices.
0: Yes, yeah, of course.
1: We were doing shows at the New England Pro Wrestling Academy, which is where all the wrestlers from Chaotic train, and we were charging like forty or forty-five dollars just to have fifty to hundred people in that in the wrestling school. People are willing to pay for a ticket. People are willing to buy merchandise. And every single show that they put a microphone in my hand, and I always say, you know, the pandemic took a hit on these independent. <laughs> you know, contractors that we're making a living doing this. Please support your favorite wrestler. Buy a t-shirt picture, blah, 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 blah. And fans are doing it. And I, I think that's great because I, I think there's no other fans in any form of entertainment or sport or whatever you want to call it that are as loyal and devoted as a wrestling fan. And uh, coming out of the pandemic and hopefully things don't change, it's just been, uh, I know my calendar's full and I know the people are coming out. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to see. 100%. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah.
0: Before we wrap up then, Rich, sure. uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you on your socials?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm old, so uh, I'm always on Facebook, and it's just Rich Palladino. Uh, Right here on the screen is my Twitter handle. I guess that's what the kids call it, at Rich Palladino. And I'm on Instagram as Ringside Rich, and um, I did have a Ringside Rich Collectibles or something on there that my daughter actually helped me set up uh, at the beginning of the year because I am a collector and I have a lot of cool signed action figures and stuff and just some rare stuff that I was putting up there. I haven't done that for a few months, but I do have to start up again. One of the fans reminded me, I haven't done that for a while, but, um, but that's where I am on social media and, uh, you know, IWTV passcode one fall, uh, support. I always tell people hashtag support independent wrestling, but you know, chaotic wrestling, beyond wrestling, limitless wrestling, um, whatever wrestling you choose to support. You know, please please do because that's where it's where the stars of today are coming from. Maybe not so much at WWE anymore, if I'm hearing things correctly. But um yeah, just continue to support these great athletes that honestly do put their bodies on the line and travel great great distances, uh, just to perform for you. So that's my uh that's my media pitch. So
0: Rich, it was an absolute honor to talk to you today, man.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I mean, we just connected on, on my old people, Facebook and, uh, and you would ask me again, I, I I sincerely thank you. I'm honored to be the first ring announcer you've ever asked. I said that to my daughter probably about an hour ago, we were out doing some errands and I'm like, like this one's in Ireland. She's never had a ring announcer on. I'm like, I I, (laughs) I'm honored to be like the first one. So, uh, there's a lot of other good ones out there too, which I'm sure will follow suit, but, uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: No problem. Thanks a lot, man.
1: All right, buddy. Thank you.